Thank you. Good morning. Hope you'll join us at 4.30 if I say your first assembly as we remember 9-11, this 10-year anniversary, and uh, gather before the Lord. I hope you get there a little early. I have a hunch that uh, it's going to be packed, so I look forward to seeing you at that time. This morning, let's uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're in verse 5 in particular, but I'd like to read it together. Just seems to me that the, the grand issues are in view. And here we're going to be kind of zeroing in on on our little world that is your life, my life. Bring to bear something so potent and powerful, so relevant to all the grand issues. Sometimes we get our eyes on the mountaintops and the horizon. We try to resolve things there and we overlook the things that we can be doing right in our own backyard, in our own household, in our own workplace, in our own school. Let love speak to these things because to change the world, we have to let God begin to do a great work of change in our own hearts and our own lives. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now, we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then, we shall see face to face. Now, I know in part. Then, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Hi, my name is John, and I am an angry man. That's what I imagine I would say at an AA meeting. Not for alcoholics, but for angry people. 
Don't be afraid. I'm not dangerous. I'm sober. But I'm sober because I'm vigilant and I'm aware of the fact that I can become angry very easily. I've never made a secret of the fact that I was an angry man. And I grew up with a dad who was an angry man. I learned to deal with life in an angry way. And Jesus has really changed all of that. And Shelley can attest to that. By the way, Shelley's my wife, if you don't know. <laughs> so who's Shelley? But I'm sober because I'm vigilant. I'm aware. And I'm armed with love. I was pastoring in San Francisco. And an acquaintance at the church came to me. And he had an alcohol problem. But he admitted it only to me. And in our conversation expressed a need for help. And he needed a support group. So I called AA. I called the chapter. I looked it up in the yellow pages. I hadn't been in San Francisco that long. I talked to someone on the other end of the line representing Alcoholics Anonymous. And basically, they said, have him call me. That's the first step. What that person was expressing was the realization that there can't be any help unless we acknowledge a problem. A lot of times we just gloss over anger and irritation, that stirring in our heart that spells resentment for wrong suffered, insults and injuries. Acknowledging that we have a problem is the first step. You know, today, men and women with years of sobriety still introduce themselves at AA meetings as, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic. And I realize I'm an angry man, even though I've been sober many years. Anger can only experience victory through vigilance and love. Love is what tames anger. Love soothes anger. Love takes the bite out of anger. And if you think you're no longer an alcoholic, you think you can handle just one drink. And if you don't think you're angry, you're going to be angry. Anger is as potent as alcohol. We all experience anger. Love extinguishes anger. When we become angry, it's not for nothing. There's a reason. And we have good reasons. But reasons may be wrong. It's a good reason because it's our reason. But our reason is often wrong. A pastor, and I share this story because, and it's not me, 
But it could be. <laughs> it could be you. That's the reason I'm going to tell it. This story involves Eugene Peterson, and many of you are familiar with Eugene P Peterson, because if you've ever read the, the version or the rendering of the Bible called The Message, that's, that's the work of Eugene Peterson. He's a pastor, an author, a scholar, a poet. And this pastor was moved by his writings and the writings of, of two other well-known Christian authors, and he wrote each of them a letter expressing appreciation for their insights into spiritual formation. He also mentioned in, in each note that should there ever be an opportunity, he would like a chance to meet him, that, that author, and get to know them better. He heard from two, but he didn't hear from Peterson. A year later, Speaking to a group of people, he mentioned the three letters that he had written, the two that he had received, and the fact that he hadn't gotten a response from Eugene Peterson. Now, I'd just like to insert here, when you're reading something like this right along, you just might gloss over the fact that if a year later you're mentioning in a public forum that you received letters from two, but you didn't, and by name, mention that you didn't get a letter from Eugene Peterson, there's a little bit of anger simmering there. There's a little bit of resentment and record keeping. A year later. Now, I don't want to be faulty and guilty of the very thing that he's talking about, but I just, let's just work on that hypothesis to make a point. In that group of people listening to this, this uh, pastor, happened to be a good friend of Eugene Peterson. And she told him, I'll get in touch with him and find out what happened to that letter. A few weeks later, he received a letter from Eugene Peterson himself, explaining that he'd received the letter, but somehow had lost the envelope with the return address. He'd kept the letter on his desk for that entire year, often praying that God would provide an opportunity for him to respond. And of course, an opportunity for the two of them to sit down together. And as it turned out, when they met for lunch, they marveled at God's providence and Peterson accepted the pastor's deep apology. Sometimes we presume to know why people don't meet our expectations, and sometimes anger can be triggered. It's a God-given emotion, and it can do a great work when it's under the control of love. But even the smallest irritation can provoke us if we're not vigilant and armed with love. It can provoke us to anger, and anger is destructive to others and to ourselves. It does not work when it's just <laughs> running on selfishness and ego. It does not work the will of God. Sometimes we presume to know why people don't meet our expectations, and so often we don't know the whole story. We have reasons to us, they're right, but often they're wrong. 
And that's why we have God in our lives in the first place. And we have to let him in into this area of our lives and let him reign in the area of irritation and disappointed expectations and injuries and insults and wrongs against us that we might work his will and do great things. Sometimes we don't know the whole story. Sometimes? How about 99.9% of the time? Maybe that's just me. But you know what? Even if we're right, 100% right, Paul tells us there's a better way. Think about that for a moment. Even if you're 100% right, you're 100% justified. Paul says, and he says this at the end of chapter 12, it's his entrance into chapter 13. Paul says there is a far more excellent way, and that is the way of love. Agape love is slow to anger, not easily provoked, and never harbors resentment. That is record-keeping. Love's a better way, even if our reason is right. Our anger, if not tamed by love, wrecks rather than restores. Love softens anger. It absorbs wrong. It overcomes evil. It's patient. It withholds anger in the seeking of God's best for another. Here in 1 Corinthians, there are a lot of things going on. This is a church that he's writing to, an early church. Sometimes we think, oh, if I lived in the first century, if I lived in those wonderful times, my Christian life would just thrive. It would be so real. It would be so powerful. But even here, when you read this letter, you realize that people are people. Things have not changed. We're still driven by our own selfish ways. It's all about walking by faith, surrendering our will, our ego, to his wiser guidance, judgment, and ways. Here at Corinth, there was irritation. There was resentment. And between the haves and the have-nots, which was a sense of what was going on, but a part of the problem as well. And even in the gifting of God, these spiritual gifts that were meant to edify, to build up, to encourage one another in the church, some paraded their gifts while others nursed their hurts. And it built up resentment and division between people who had been united, people very diverse, united by God. Love, God's love is the solution. I want to just give you some reasons because if I could have my way, I would want us to live each day seeking to love the way God loves us. I mean, to just have that, that energy, that kind of motivation, to have it, you know, I said, I'm an angry man, but I'm sober because I'm vigilant. Well, I'm vigilant to love. That constantly kind of gives me the right orientation do I 
Do I still get irritated? Yes, but love snuffs that out. Do I sometimes blow it? Yes, but love quickly recovers, gets me on track. I would like to somehow energize you. So I, I want to give you some reasons to love despite right reasons to be angry. Your reasons, even if they're 100% right. Here's the first reason. May these be motivating or incentives. First reason. Jesus said love. More than once. We're here because of Jesus. If Jesus were standing here, he'd tell you the same thing. This is good for you. This is what my will is for you. You may not be able to solve the world's problems, undo the world's miseries, but in your home and your workplace, in your backyard, with the people around you, I'm giving you a path, a walk of life. It's following me in the way of love. Second reason, love because God loved us in Jesus Christ. He loved us first. This is pretty plain and simple, isn't it? But I don't want to overlook the obvious. Listen to just a few verses, and there are so many. Christ died for our sins once for all. The righteous that is Jesus, the righteous one, for the unrighteous, me, the unrighteous one, you, the unrighteous one. Why? To bring us to God. He took, he absorbed our wrongs, our injustices, while we were yet sinners. How do we behave? We wait for the other person to make things right in order to accept them. That's not the way Jesus went about it. Not with you and not with me. That moves me. That changes me. That makes me look at the world differently. That makes me look at others' wrongs of me differently. That's from 1 Peter 3.18 with a little commentary on the side. <laughs> Here's another verse. Be kind and compassionate to one another. How did we start 1 Corinthians? In verse 4, Paul says, love is patient. And at that time, we learn love is patient. Patient is, patience is withholding anger in order to seek God's best for another. And then what is it? Love is patient, love is kind. Here in Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I remember uh, what, uh, a class that I, I took some time ago of a professor the dean of, of preachers in the United States. 20 years ago when he was pastoring, he, uh, he tells of, a, of a, an incident and he describes everything that went on around that as, and I quote, the most difficult experience of our lives, counting his wife Bonnie in that. 
the most difficult experience of our lives. They were sued by a young woman whom, within the life of the church, they had gone to great lengths to care for and encourage. He never mentions the details, but he says, on several occasions, Bonnie, my wife, had gone over to clean her house. We had hosted her in our home. When we got that suit, it just felt like we'd tried to wash someone's feet and got kicked in the mouth. Now understand, we have right reasons to be angry. Our reasons, even if they're 100% right. And sometimes the ones that are most painful are when we're trying to walk in the way of Jesus Christ and love others and we get kicked in the teeth when we're trying to wash their feet. She blamed us, he says, for things for which we weren't responsible. I saw how lawyers work. They were constructing a case that wasn't there. He continues, he says, I wish I could tell you I was pure and noble, but at that time I would have been happy if this woman had gotten run over by a truck. I'm an angry man. I'm sober because I'm aware that that's the kind of real feelings I have when anger's coming up within me. You need to face that kind of thing. Good people, people who desire to love and serve and follow the Lord and step out in love, when they get kicked in the teeth, it hurts. And there are times where we resent that. But that's not the way of our lives. We don't let it overwhelm us. Love kicks in and begins to take over. He says, in prayer and thought, he realized, I served a God who has forgiven all of my sins, and they are many. And on this basis, I can begin to forgive her. You know, I've truncated this story, but he concluded, I tell this story not because I'm an expert about how to show forgiveness, but I do know that when in the power of the Spirit and the love of God, you work with it, you can take that truth about love off the page and see it work in your life. Alfred Lord Tennyson, he says, said of Archbishop Cranmer, to do him a hurt was to beget a kindness from him. His heart was made of such fine soil that if you planted in it the seeds of hate, they blossomed love. I wanted that, he says, to be true of me. And we're better at it than we think we are because of the spirit of love that lives in us when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Reason three, unresolved anger brings resentment and spiritual imprisonment. Unresolved anger brings resentment and spiritual imprisonment. We... Uh, Shelly and I were just thriving early in our marriage. Jordan had just been born. She had a great job. I had a great job. I was teaching for uh, Fresno Pacific. Uh, we lived up in Modesto. They had a satellite campus there. Uh, life couldn't have been better. Our family and friends were there. We had good reputation in the community. And uh, I got this 
request to go to a little church in South San Francisco. And they asked me to come and speak. And, uh, well, you know, when I'm seeking God's will in my life, unless there's a real definite no or something that has some spiritual validity, uh, I continue to say yes. And so I went. And I wish I had time to tell you some of the things that went on. But they introduced me as Pastor Enema, and uh, we didn't get off (laughs) to a good start. I think I've given you too much information. (laughs) They called me. And uh, the day they had the... We did not want to go. But all our reasons were selfish. I mean, I knew that. I'm, I'm just cutting right to the chase. I had no reason to say no. And we went. And for me... Uh, They proved to be the the best 10 years of our lives. But while we were there, uh, sacrificing so much, giving up our own home, not being able to afford a place there, um, we had some money from the sale of our home that we needed to invest. And to make a long story very brief, uh, in that process, even having checked sources and everything, we got conned out of $5,000. Five thousand dollars in 1985 was uh, a lot of money for a, a young couple with a brand new baby on a very small salary, trying to serve the Lord. The FBI stepped in. They explained to us, uh, "We know this guy. He's down in Coronado. He drives a white Rolls Royce." I was, <sighs> and I was imprisoned. I was imprisoned with anger. I, I, you know, I, I just, we, time could not elaborate, but perhaps through some like experience, you can tap in to a little of what was going on inside of me. I could not shake that guy from my thoughts. And the Lord couldn't find his way in. And the ministry suffered, and it was like life stood still, My family was on hold. I was just kind of walking through life, just filled with rage and bitterness. But I was in the Word. I was in the disciplines of the spiritual life. And God did start to speak through. And one of the things that not only because the Lord himself freed me, but one of the things I wanted to share with you that I thought might connect with you is that when you are in a condition like I was, not only did I end up giving that guy the $5,000 and he got away with it scot-free, which unnerved me, but I was paying interest And think about that just a moment. When you're angry and you're resentful, you're paying interest. You're continuing to give over your life to that person who's injured you or wronged you. You're still a victim. You're still being taken. You're continuing to be conned. 
That really helped me to realize I've got to let this go because God wants me to live life to the fullest. I can trust that loss. I can absorb that in Him. I can overcome. I can take back my life through love because He first loved me. Maybe that will encourage you. Matt Woolley, a pastor, had an acquaintance that didn't believe in forgiveness. God could never forgive me, he said. Okay, maybe he could give me, forgive me 70% of my sins, but not all of them. Woolley tried to explain that when we trust Jesus, he forgives 100% of our sin. And his acquaintance named Steve interrupted and said, Yeah, fine, but you don't know the stuff I've done. And then he told this story, and I quote, 19 years ago, 19 years ago, this guy stole my wife away from me. They got married and moved to Florida while my life unraveled. After I was arrested for assaulting a police officer, this guy smirked through the entire court hearing. When I was convicted, he flipped me the finger. I've hated him for 19 years. He's coming up here next week. I have a 32 caliber pistol strapped around my ankle, and when I see him, I will kill him. Then he chillingly concluded, I've thought all about it. I'm 63 years old. I will get a life sentence, but I'll also get free medical and dental and a warm bed and three meals a day. All of this bitterness and resentment feels so right. Forgiveness seems weird. After Wooly heard this story, he paused for a long time and he finally stammered, well, I guess it doesn't matter if you go to jail because you're already in jail. The guy who stole your wife and smirked at your hearing isn't in jail. You are. That guy is free, but you're a prisoner of your own hate, and you're slowly killing yourself, and unless you forgive, you'll remain trapped in the rest of your life. Lest I forget, that man did come to Christ. He did accept that forgiveness. It changed his whole countenance, changed his whole outlook. If he had shot him, he would not have been healed. If he loves him and forgives him, there's a chance he can lead that man to Jesus Christ and that man will become his brother in Christ. And that's a victory we can all rejoice in. Choose to love. It's the most powerful thing you will ever do. And God will give you the resources you will know wholeness of soul. That's reason number four. Choose to love. It's the most powerful thing you will ever do. And God will give you the resources. You will know wholeness of soul. Paul says love is the superior way. You have to personalize it. You have to say at some point, yeah, I am angry. I get angry but I'm going to let love conquer. The love of Jesus makes the difference. If we 
like Steve, don't believe Jesus can forgive us, or we don't see ourselves as needing God's forgiveness, we will not know the power of God's love and grace. And if we don't know the power of God's love and grace because we personalize His forgiveness and love, then why would we ever turn to love and grace to deal with life? As a result, we'll live on with the rest of the world angry, irritated, resenting, storing up grievance, and locked away. Don't throw away the key. Give it to the Lord. Today, you stand with me? Heavenly Father, in your love, we can, as Paul said, in you do all things. Set us free, Father, in the area of our greatest need. That difficult person, that loved one who's wronged us. Take us by the hand. Lead us. We'll walk in faith, Lord. But let it begin with knowing your love, your grace through forgiveness in our own hearts to set us free, to know the joy, to be able to live right now in victory through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This has been a production of Grace Community Church of Visalia. For more information, go to our website at www.gccvisalia.org or for more sermons, go to gccvisalia.org slash podcast.